Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy July. Happy 4th of, or I belated 4th of July. Hope everyone enjoyed the holiday weekend. Um, and yeah, we're getting into a, into the, the dreads of summer. We have TBT coming up. We have uh, recruiting NBA stuff. And, uh, NBA Finals Week and one of the weirder finals matchups uh, in recent history. The finals um, everyone predicted. The, the Milwaukee yes, we Bucks all, against the Phoenix Suns. We all had the, the Bucks against the uh, Phoenix Suns who hadn't made the playoffs in a decade. And uh, the Bucks reaching here despite Giannis being out for uh, half of the Eastern Conference Finals. So, yeah, just pretty logical. You know what, I'll take it. Um, I'll also take the first place Mets, and we'll leave it at that. Um, yes, we, go Mets. Baby Mets are in first place, um, as far as I know, and I, I won't hear any information to the contrary. I, I won't hear any information about the contrary happening eventually. The Mets have been in first place for like two months, so I mean, it's just kind of people just need to accept that. Yeah, this is. Uh, I, I won't even get into the last time we've been in first place for this long because I don't want to know anything about that season um yeah no, we're not talking about that we're not, we're not talking about old stuff <laughs> yeah also dead these are the new mets this is the 2021 no longer owned by the Wilpon mets they've been in first place for i think like all of june and like a lot of may so uh and they still like aren't hitting so i mean one of the things can definitely go in one of two ways obviously but I'm going to go ahead and say I don't think the entire roster uh, will continue to slump. Obviously, Alonzo's coming out of it a little bit. Lindor's coming out of it a little bit. So, And and, and at least it's just, uh, I mean, we could probably say the same thing about like the Braves and the Nationals and the Phillies, but uh, they don't seem very good. So, yeah, go Mets. Go Mets, indeed. Talking about Syracuse things, that's what everybody's actually here for, probably. Unless you're here for Beer Talk. And in that case, we will see you in at the halfway mark. Dan, recruiting happened over the weekend. I actually thought we were going to get more recruit news. Just because, you know, realistically, there, there, there were a lot of oranges tweeted. There was a lot of DJ Khaled memes tweeted. And, and it doesn't seem like we, we, we've hit that number yet. So there could be more. There might even be more before this podcast gets posted. But Syracuse did make a couple additions uh, last week for the July weekend. Quan Peterson, uh, three-star cornerback from South Carolina, was one of those. Going with linebacker, uh, three-star linebacker, McKee Mason. I was another one, Florida guy who we were uh, we've been in on for a long time, um, and then we also added uh, another Florida uh, commit in uh, three-star defensive back Jeremiah Wilson. So nice additions there. Um, not to knock them, like I wouldn't say like there's any like top 400, top 500 guys in there, but at the same time, clearly some some big talent, some guys who could be you know rising names as these classes come together a little bit more um seems like jeremiah wilson might be a little bit of a diamond in the rough mason um had some big offers um on hand so dead definitely good players um here i think it's notable that su's really um emphasized the cornerback position three guys play corner already um i would assume that's it in terms of cornerbacks so on the one hand like great to have us secure corners on the other we definitely kind of swung and missed on all of our like top top targets um, at that position, which is not the most encouraging thing, even if it's not the most discouraging either. Yeah, as you said, it's it's kind of interesting to uh, to see what happens here going forward because there was a lot of action coming from the Syracuse coaching staff, and uh, it didn't quite seem like we hit that number of or just I mean it's, it's not exact science, but it seems like there's maybe some silent commitments or some guys just kind of waiting to make their announcement whenever, but have informed the coaching staff so. 
Um, this number could certainly grow. Right now we're at seven commits for the year, three in the last couple of days. You know, a fairly decent group. Nothing like two, nothing jumps off the page. Although Makai Mason, I think, has the chance to end up vaulting up uh, recruiting rankings. He's, uh, you know, sits at one, 220 linebacker from Opelika, Florida. He has, uh, as you alluded to, some really big offers. Um, he seemed to choose us over Georgia Tech and Indiana, which are the other two schools he visited this month. And we, he, we got the first of those visits. So he, uh, we outlasted the the two uh, later on in June, but then he also has at least reported Florida State, uh, LSU, both Mississippi schools, UCF, Pitt, West Virginia. So like a really nice group of like both our, our peer group and also like the LSUs of the world who, you know, who knows if it was committable or not. Uh, that's always a question when you see guys like this. But if LSU and Florida State were fairly interested based on the level at which those two schools recruit uh that's a pretty good sign so yeah i think he's exciting i think um you know we've, we've, we've talked a lot about how the cornerback position uh we have an opportunity to really stack up there because of how much success we've had recruiting defensive bats in recent years and we, we've landed two i don't know how much more we'll do at that spot because of those two guys coming in now but both southern uh recruits from south carolina and florida so it's interesting to see the class breakdown so far we have uh what three florida guys two michigan a jersey and a south carolina so not the not quite the typical, although you know obviously we recruit all those areas pretty hard, but nothing from New York yet, and and we're, we seem to be going much, I mean, even harder at the the southeast than normal. Although obviously Florida is always a, a huge focus for us, so we'll see if we get a couple more here in the in the coming days after after that flurry of of Twitter activity over the last few. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, there's there's at least one more out there, um, and and those who follow the uh, kind of recruiting sites and uh, some of the crystal ball. Um, predictions you probably know who one of those names at least one of those names might be but yeah I, I definitely think SU is has focused really heavily here um, on speed on on just getting in like I think a nice starting point for a uh, for a solid recruiting class I, I think the again the, the the problem I I don't have I wouldn't say it's a problem I'd say the the concern I have is that you know like I, I said this months ago in our internal slack like if you took a look at like even back in like March, as far as like our wide receiver targets, I think like 14 of the top 15 had already committed somewhere else, like by March. And it just, that's fine if if the guys you're then in on for a long time convert. But then you look at like another a piece of recruiting news from last week um, where we're long time, uh, you know, top QB target, um, Henry Bielen, um, who goes to school in the Bronx, he ended up uh, committing to Duke who only offered you know, in early June, um, and he picked Duke over us and Northwestern. Obviously, David Cutcliffe's, uh, you know, bona fides are, are, are well documented. But at the same time, like, SU was in on a guy for two years. Uh, and, and and all it took was, uh, you know, it seems like a visit and, and a Duke offer uh, for, for Duke, largely a peer program, uh, maybe like a, a half step above, like, to be able to swoop in and just grab him for, and, and, and really do that now for the second straight year. Um, in terms of quarterback um, prospects. So I think SU's kind of screwed um, in this cycle. I think that this isn't the worst year to miss on a guy, if only because of the current state of the QB room, and maybe that played a role in Bielan's decision. Um, Schrader's got three years. Justin Lampson has four to five years. Uh, Markowitz has four to five years. Jacoby and Morgan has four to five years. So, like, granted, like, if Bielan's good enough, then you climb the depth chart accordingly. But I, I, I do think that, with so much assured already on that depth chart, like maybe he just felt like, eh, this seems like they've got their current plan and the succession plan already in place with Trader and potentially Lampson, while 
Duke really has like kind of a uh, a real open competition um, going right now. And I, and I wouldn't say that they have a sure thing, even if the coaching staff knows how to coach up the quarterback that ends up taking the reins. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good point with Duke. They don't have like that obvious guy. They don't have Daniel Jones stepping back in for another year or, or like one of those other kind of secure guys that Duke has. It seems more often than not like they're pretty secure at the quarterback position, even if they don't have a superstar there. Um, and this year they have like a, you know, Gunnar Holmberg who hasn't started before. They have Luca uh, Diamant who has not started before, some young guys. So it's it's a very muddled quarterback picture. And that can be very attractive, especially when you combine it with the fact that Cutcliffe has that quarterback coaching pedigree with the Mannings and everything else versus Syracuse, which, you know, as we've said, is about as, as well stocked at the quarterback position for a team in our spot, generally at least, that it's been in a long time with uh, obviously DeVito this year. Schrader uh, waiting in the wings with a lot of uh, time under his, like available for him. And then Lampson, who we're all very high on, who I think we've, you know, about as excited for as, as anyone since DeVito. Um, so yeah, it's, it, you know, it is, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, this is not the worst time to, uh, this is not the worst time to lose that on a quarterback, but you don't ever want to lose that on a quarterback that you were recruiting for a couple of years that, you know, by every indication the staff is really excited about. So Hopefully we're we're on it for next year because next year then you know you start to need to uh, make sure you land someone because you really don't want to go two years without getting one um, or having to settle for like plan plan C guys if you can avoid it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean unless of course you get, the world. Like, unless of course you can attract you know a four star transfer or, or something like that. And Oklahoma has done a little bit of that. Um, you know other schools have done a little bit of that too. Like I just we we, we both know and I think SU fans know like Syracuse is not in the business of doing that. Um, right now, and it doesn't always work. <laughs> like we, yeah, we have yeah, it doesn't, it's, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't always work. We we hope Schrader does. If Schrader plays, like hopefully he's great. He's like that kind of guy. But like we we've all been through this, <laughs> all been through this before. Um, obviously with uh, who's the the, the oh, Drew Allen. Now, yeah the Drew Allen situation where we were like pumped all summer and then like halfway to the Penn State game we're like oh this this ain't it <laughs> <laughs> this ain't it not gonna work um, not ideal in any way. Um, yeah, I, I think really, and said I, I think there's a narrative that this that this staff has struggled on the QB recruiting trail, really on the QB, on the recruiting trail in general. There's a narrative worth leaning into there, especially on the offensive side of the ball, and, and I think it's a fair one. And, and this lends to it, but like in, in, in not in the way you would think, and more in the way that you were saying that like we didn't need Beelin, but at the same time, like being in on a guy for two years and then losing him to a last basically a last minute offer from Duke. Like like that's in basketball shit. That's not necessarily a uh, a, a typical football uh, <laughs> series of events. Especially not Duke football. Duke basketball, yeah, sure. Yeah, look, that happens. All, that's actually happened numerous times where where we've been in on a guy for two years in basketball, and then Duke gets around to offering him, and then he's you know a blue devil within a month. But I uh, I, I do hope, and we only had five, I think five or six guys offered the QB position um, this time around. I so I think that hopefully next time. Where we're looking at, like, like, really, hopefully, like, I haven't looked at our offer list yet for 2023. Hopefully, we've already put out some offers to guys, and hopefully, we already, like, I know we can't make contact yet, but, like, like real contact yet, but hopefully, we've already put out offers to a bunch um, of 2023 targets and, and, and spread a much wider net. Because I think, and I've said this on the site, I said this on Twitter, I think part of the issue for guys if, as they're looking at SU as a potential destination is the fact that uh, Babers and the, and the staff seem very convinced of who their guy is pretty early like this is really the first competition we're seeing and i i think it's already over i think devito's the starter and that's no knock on schrader it's just a commentary on 
um, who knows the system better, but like we've done this over and over again, where like, we're not offering the same number of, um, of quarterbacks as a lot of our peers. And, and that leads to, you know, kind of an all eggs in one basket situation or just this, this approach where, you know, the orange, like e- either they swing and miss um, on, on all their top guys. And then they're at making additions late as we've seen numerous times where they're making additions in January or they get a guy and then, or like they, they, they get like a three-star guy somewhere in like the July time frame and that's it. But that's after they struck out on a bunch. And I think that that's kind of a perilous game to play. Um, if you're the orange when again, peer programs, better programs are offering far more quarterbacks than we are. Yeah. I, I can kind of see both sides of the approach with the quarterback position because it's so hard to um, a land your first guy, but also hard to keep them. And you want to make sure that they believe that there is a pathway to them starting and that, you know, that can change really quick. Um, Ilta, we have offered six in the 2023 cycle. We, we've offered five-star Dante Moore, who's like the number number 14 kid in the country out of Detroit. Good luck. Uh, so that, that's an uphill battle. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've also offered uh, three-star Chris Parson out of Brentwood, Tennessee, um, which is interesting. Uh, not a place that we usually recruit too heavily. And then a bunch of uh, unrated Tennessee, guys. Tennessee, what up, AJ Law? Yeah. Uh, and then a bunch of uh, four unrated guys, which is not a huge red flag. Like, the ratings are pretty... Uh, they're not super comprehensive for like this class yet because it's so far out. Um, but Cameron Edge from Smyrna, Delaware, Drew Vioto from Wald Lake Western, uh, Wald Lake, Michigan, Tad Hudson, uh, extremely North Carolina name from Cornelius, North Carolina, and Reese Mooney from Denham Springs, Louisiana. So again, a very southeastern flavor here, uh, and then as well, you know, a Delaware guy and a Michigan guy, so or two Michigan guys, so. We'll see what, what emerges from that group, but it's still very, very early uh, to get a sense of like who the who the favored person is. Uh, because as you said, like Baber seems to like to lock in on who his guy is. We saw it with with Devito at work. We saw it with, uh, with Lampson in at work. Um, but it's it's uh, you know it swings both ways. Lampson too. I mean that was still kind of down the wire, but because um, obviously we were up against Louisville late. For what it's worth, Mooney already has a crystal has two crystal balls toward Nebraska. <laughs> I don't know if that's aspirational crystal balls, but in any case, some warm projections um, on a lot of others. Tad Hudson, uh, again, someone who was born to to play power forward at uh, North Carolina. Um, he has offers from a slew of SEC schools, so that one's unlikely. Um, Drew Vieto is worth his only uh, power five, it looks like. Yeah, it seems like Michigan State's sniffing around, but he's probably like a second option or a third option for them. Uh, he's Cameron a big, Edge, like, he's, he's kind of yeah, like looks... He looks the part. Sits four. We know. We know. Uh, Babers likes his tall quarterbacks. Yeah, I like him. I mean, if if we could land, I mean, I'm not going to say I prefer him over like a bunch of other bigger names, but um, Cameron Edge. Uh, he's rated 125th nationally by 24/7. Offers from Maryland, LSU, BC, a bunch of others. Um, wouldn't bank on Cam. Chris um, Parson already has a Florida State crystal ball and a bunch of offers from SEC schools. And then, yeah, Dante Moore's got offers from pretty much everybody in the sun. So not great uh, <laughs> from a starting position. It doesn't mean we can't land one of these guys. Um, but at the same time, it's not, not an ideal starting point already. Yeah. I mean, you said we have to see how it shakes out because obviously, right. like, you know, not all these offers were made with, like, thought that we're going to, like, really drill down. We'll see which guys start to get a ton of attention like we've seen from the past. Um, but we need to get one. Like, we, we can't, you know, we don't want to go two years of that one. Obviously, this year we may – grab a die late as we've done in the last couple of years. And I don't hate doing that if you have a scholarship to give, but as we've seen, it's like, there's a, 
there's no real like uh, guarantee that you're going to hit on one of those dies. It's kind of aspirational, but you know, it's not the wor- end of the world if you have like a couple starships at the end and you see like a, a top quarterback from Texas, like Marco Wicks. So, you know, maybe turns into something. And if not, like, you know, good depth and, and see if we can develop. But uh, yeah. So, I mean, it seems like that's probably the direction we go in 2022. If we, if we take a quarterback at all. Yeah. And honestly, like we do have scholarships to give. I just don't, I don't have the math in front of me about when those scholarships have to get taken because realistically um, I feel like despite the fact that we have plenty of scholarships, we also like are going to be up against the, uh, the ceiling for additions in a single year without like doing like gray shirting and other weirdness. Yeah. I mean, so this year in general is going to be kind of a uh, hard to hard to map out given all, a, like the, the ever increasing transfer numbers and then be the extra year uh, for fall athletes. So it's a very strange one, but yeah, we'll see how things go. Uh, hopefully we get some more good recruiting news, uh, at least by next week. Yeah, love to see it. Um, I think in particular, a lot of folks have been commenting on um, the fact that it'd be good to add some more offensive talent. Obviously, we've added def- defenders. That's great. Um, we have some defenders who might be, you know, adding their names to the list shortly, but it, it'd be great to start shoring up the offensive line. And right now, the only offensive player committed is LeQuint Allen uh, from New Jersey, running back. Everybody else, however, um, on the defensive side of the ball. So would hope that the the uh, the offensive guru uh, coach is able to bring in some offensive talent um, at some point in the near future. Um, I know we have some guys, and like I'm not I'm not knocking Dino too much. I'm more just commenting, and something a lot of others have said too is that we've done well enough with some three star talent. Obviously, some transfers here and there, like Tristan Jackson, um, and then uh, Ambo Atawo. We, we've coached up some guys like Jamal Custis, who was just a freak athlete as well, but like we at the same time haven't necessarily, you know, just like landed that impact guy um, at an offensive skill position. And, and and that's a bummer this far into the regime, I guess. Yeah, it's a, it's a fair point. I, I think it's a little like disheartening that we, you know, for, I guess like the fourth straight coaching staff here, haven't quite been able to like elevate things past like that, that like 50 to early 60s hump that we've been stuck at. But, you know, I, I guess like you can probably blame, the last two seasons for that, uh, for the Babers era, but you know, it's all, it all goes back to him as well. So, you know, you can't say it, it, it's all kind of like of a piece. So hopefully we'll, we'll keep, continue to do it forward, but uh, you know, we, we have to find a way to, to win football games with like this level of recruiting in general uh, before we can make any drastic changes there anyway. So knock on wood. Agreed. Agreed. Dan, you want to do a little halftime here and then we can kind of move on to the rest. I know it's not officially like halftime, but do feel like it's a, it's a natural stopping point before we move on to some of the other stuff. Works for me. Um, I have a fair amount to report on. Um, we have, I have the wrong tap page open. Um, so I was down in Jersey for the last couple of weeks, did a lot of Jersey drinking. Uh, as I said, I would. Um, I think I discussed a couple of these last wave surfer blood. I also had uh, a frame from last wave, which is a really, really solid IPA they've been putting out. Had a bunch of that. Um, I had both Carton's Boat Beer, which I you know have all the time, but also their Beach Session IPA, which is uh, kind of their Orange Zest Session, which is uh, quite good as well. Kind of up there with the boat, actually, I think. Um, had uh, some Blueberry Lemon Crushing It from Cape May Brewing, which I thought was solid. Um, wish it was a little more uh, lemonade-y, but, uh, you know, not too bad. Um, enjoyed that. It's, I think it's the first thing I've had from Cape May. Maybe maybe I've had one other thing. Um, and then uh, probably the most interesting thing I had this week uh, oh, I also had some Persian Lime Goza from Two Roads, a lot from some of the other Two Roads stuff I got last week. 
And then that's definitely the most interesting thing from Heavy Reel down in uh, Seaside Heights um, from their thick series of uh, kind of milkshake IPAs uh, slash, uh, I think they actually call this one a fruited Berliner uh, Weiss, um, but it's very thick as the name would indicate. Their Jamba, which was uh, banana, passion fruit, vanilla, ice cream flavored. Um, I would definitely go, it's definitely heaviest on the passion fruit, followed by the vanilla ice cream, followed by the banana, but it's a really nice uh, kind of creamy blend, really drinkable um, nice amount of sourness to it, but a uh, really interesting one. So enjoyed all those and uh, some more stuff in the fridge to uh, enjoy this week. Very, very nice. Um, on my end, I had a bunch to kind of celebrate the fourth. I had, went to Smog City on Friday because I had off, tried some uh, cordial. It was a random keg they'd uh, kind of either forgotten about or purposely forgotten about um, from a few years back. It was uh, an imperial uh, barrel-aged porter with raspberry. It was uh, really, really good. Kind of had like a, some Black Forest cake vibes um, for those that enjoy that. Um, so really, really good beer there. Had a Reluctant King, a, a Wild Ale from Smog City. Had Mango Pango, a uh, fruited mango sour that was pretty good. Um, and then uh, also had Fire Tornado, a hazy IPA from Smog. Uh, went over to Monkish as well over in Torrance. Had a West Coast Heaven. was a hazy West Coast IPA. That was pretty good. As well as uh, Can Lime Tan Lines. was a hazy pale ale uh, from Monkish. was down in Orange County. So went to Tustin Brewing Company and had some Operation Ivy um, and some Old Town IPA, uh, both uh, American IPAs. Had some uh, Modern Times Fortune and Islands uh, pale ale for the first time in, in probably a couple of years. Um, it's around all the time. I just like hadn't bought it but it's a great uh, kind of drinking outside um beer also had from modern times some uh my last can of uh order of hermes also had from russian river some sts pills and then from melvin brewing um, in wyoming had some melvin ipa uh, that a buddy of mine had brought over to uh, my in-laws house so yeah productive very nice i mean it was a good uh you know july 4th always brings it so nice to to loosen things up a little bit Agreed, agreed. Uh, Dan, I know we talked maybe about a little bit more football here, but I did realize that one thing we did not touch on um, because it hadn't happened yet when we uh, when we recorded last week was the uh, Quentin Hillsman um, story, kind of the bombshell that The Athletic dropped. Um, I'm not going to use this time to kind of speculate about what did or did happen necessarily, except to say that, you know, I'm sure everyone here has probably seen it. Um, but allegations of widespread um, bullying, some fear, uh, some abuse to some extent um, on the part of Hillsman toward players at the in, within the program. I think there's definitely been a lot of discourse from former players since um, around it. I think it's I'm not going to speculate, but, you know, SU is investigating um, what's gone on. I don't really know where this goes. Um, next, but definitely not the sort of attention that Syracuse women's basketball wants, given how good the program's been. Um, but obviously, if, if there's merit to these allegations, then then this is, it's good that this has come to light, um, so that these problems can be you know promptly fixed um, w- within the program because it's not at all the type of thing that um, that the program should be associated with or that SU uh, as an institution wants to be associated with in any way. And I know as alums, I'm sure we obviously, we don't want to be associated with these things. And it, it, it does get, it's exhausting to hear, I guess, how frequently 
there's these sort of conversations that happen, you know, in and around SU. And it could be because of our proximity, but it, I mean, we both know we've covered this program long enough that there's always something going on, at least with the Orange. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely troubling. Obviously, we talked a lot about the list crazy rash of transfers after the season. And while I think we were both like, you know, willing to give Q the not the benefit of the doubt as much as just like a chance to to rectify things with his bringing in a bunch of transfers and whatnot. Um, it was hard. It, it was kind of impossible to not to be troubled by the fact that that many people, including those who were in line for a ton of playing time, those who were already receiving a ton of playing time and high level playing time would choose to leave, even if it's like pretty easy to leave now, like it's still a pretty big decision to make to uproot your, your career. Um, and the fact that so many, like, I mean, the majority of the, of the scholarship players on the team would do so was extremely troubling. Um, and now you throw in allegations of abuse and obviously, you know, people have had different experiences. We've heard from a number of players on either side of this thing. Um, but it, I mean, it's, it's all just, just really troubling. And, you, you can kind of overcome you can overcome a crazy rash of transfers if it's just like if maybe if there's just a chemistry issue but when you teeter into like mistreatment of players um however like and, and there have been things in the past too like you hasn't had this like totally squeaky clean record even though stuff has you know been at various levels but um yeah i mean i think it's a, we just have to see what su turns up with his investigation but I think he's certainly on, he's treading really rocky ground right now because uh, you can't have all these things happen. Obviously abuse, you can't really have happen at all. That's, there's no real excuse for it, but um, it seems like uh, not a total surprise given the, the crazy turnover in, in, in the roster this year. Um, And that, that's a pretty good indication that something was, was incredibly wrong. And even if you have like, you know, some, some players who are ready to defend him, like, it still kind of signals that there was a major chemistry issue that he let fester. Um, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see what what goes down. But it's uh, certainly not what you want for your program that you're hoping is uh, turning into like one of the better ones in the sport to like let it get derailed this way. Yeah, I I, I completely agree and said and don't want to speculate. And I know like it's tough to avoid speculation here. Um, it definitely doesn't seem to say to paint a positive picture about what's next. Um, and I just hope, you know, I hope number one that that wh- whoever felt, um, you know, the need to the, the need to speak up and 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 the the, you know, terrible for from from these accounts, um, you know, you know, mental anguish and everything else that came with this. I, I hope that they're able to find some peace here. Um, but then also, I just hope Syracuse is able to make the decision that that it moves the program forward in a positive fashion. I mean, that, that's the, the, the least you could hope for is just like Syracuse takes everything extremely seriously. And if they decide, I mean, whatever they decide is rooted in, in whatever comes out here. But um, hopefully, you know, if, if worse comes to worse and they move on from Q, like this should still be a program with um, some serious upside. There's a lot going for it. it. You know, it's been proven that they can build a, a real like high level winner here. And I don't think they'll have any real trouble filling that job if if need be, but you know, don't want to get ahead of ourselves. So we'll see what what happens with this investigation. But hopefully, it's quick and thorough, and we uh, can can kind of move on from this in, in whatever direction is appropriate. Very much agreed. Um, so Dan, I guess we can kind of wrap up here with um, just a little bit about the like quarterback position, the running back position. Um, you know, I, I know earlier we talked about uh, a ton about how Syracuse. 
has failed to really, you know, bring in that impact player. And we thought Tommy DeVito could have been that impact player um, at quarterback and not necessarily, I think, at running back. You know, we haven't um, really brought in like that, that big, big name um, that we've targeted. But at the same time, um, you know, Abdul Adams was once a former four star um, who we brought in and he really seemed to struggle in 2019, uh, but looked pretty good. Um, at least in, in the glimmers we saw of him in, at the end of 2018 um, and, and part two in there in 2019. So I guess um, look at the running back position first and then we'll see if we get to quarterbacks and we've already discussed them a bit. Uh, do you feel that like the running back position is incredibly deep right now? Do you feel like the running back position is, is well situated or do you feel like, you know, because last year they still struggled so much despite um, how high everybody is on, on um, Sean Tucker at the very least. Like, do you think this is still a work in progress that is really dependent on the offensive line? Um, I think everything's a work in progress, but I'm probably less concerned about running back than I am the majority of the roster, uh, especially with the depth we have coming back. Obviously we've seen at least like pretty nice bursts from Jarvian Howard and Abdul Adams who will be the two, uh, the two veterans both opted out last year. Sean Tucker looks like a star in the making. Um, obviously, you love to grab like four and five star guys if possible, but like ultimately it comes down to production. And Sean Tucker certainly looked like a four star player last year. Um, and then Cooper Lutz, who I know Babers has raved about this offseason and who looked really good at times last year, too. So I think among those four guys, and then you throw in like Josh Ho, who, you know, is a, a monster, six foot three, 240 pound guy who ran for a million yards last year in Pennsylvania, like. I just think there's a lot of talent here uh, and ultimately it's going to come down to the offensive line. But even, even with the really just poor offensive line play we got last year, Sean Tucker was super productive. So yeah, I think the running backs are like a, a real sign uh, of hope. And if you get like middling uh, offensive line play the next year, a, your quarterbacks should be in a decent position to, you know, at least, at least put their best foot forward and see what that is. But the running back should have a, a lot of opportunities. So I, I'm, I'm very high on this group. Obviously, uh, it's not all up to them. It's it's hard to succeed at all in offense without good offensive line play, which has been just the, the constant theme for three years now. But um, this is the this is probably the group on the roster overall, outside of maybe defensive back. But even there, like there's so much turnover that it's you know still a little bit of a concern. Um, this one I think is the most complete, and and probably the deepest. Yeah, I agree with that, and I felt like we thought that last year too, to be honest, um, before the opt outs. I think that Adams and Howard, I know some people bring it up in the comments on Mon- on uh, Tuesday, sorry, but but it does, like, I, I really liked what we saw from Lutz, and I think he, he'd be a great option uh, catching the ball out of the backfield. I am curious if he's able to stay in front of um, both Jarvie and Howard and Abdul Adams in the depth chart. I just find it hard to believe that we end up underutilizing. I, just, I guess I feel like it's, it'd be weird to have Adams and Howard back without them being involved in some way. I think Howard has shown some ability as a short yardage guy or a third down back potentially like Adams, I think again, hasn't necessarily gotten the traction we thought he was going to get, but if he's back, like I, I would think that he's in the rotation. I, I think that, you know, one of those four guys just seems unlikely to be as involved as the rest, unfortunately, just by way of, you know, math. Um, I, I think this team's going to lean should and, and lean heavily on the run. I mean, Tucker and Lutz both did pretty well last year, um, you know, behind a really bad offensive line. They were still able to average, you know, almost, I think Tucker was just short of four and a half yards carry. Lutz was above five, but I think that was 
in large part due to, you know, the effort versus Notre Dame in general, like volume of carries, both of them got better uh, the more they ran the ball. And I think that, you know, this year, if we can get back to something like pace um, and last year was definitely an anomaly for Babers um, in his career. Like we can get to some, back to some sort of pace and get those guys closer to like 18 to 21 carries a game each. Um, you're going to see a very different offense. You're going to see an offense that looks probably the most like what Babers has wanted to do um, yet. Cause I, th- I think while, you know, SU's offense has had success under Babers, um, a hasn't been the case the last two years. B, it still hasn't looked the way he's wanted it to look. Um, and, and C, like, it still hasn't been an overly efficient uh, attack, it, it, despite some of the, you know, just raw yardage success. So, so I do think that I think a lot of just kind of hangs on the, this running back group. And I think for once, uh, we do seem to have, you know, the guys that can really back up that, that idea. Yeah, I, I think that's a good culmination of everything. Um, it's I think the most fascinating person for me is probably Adams, just because I, I feel like Tucker we know is going to be involved. He's you know, broke out, so he was probably the best player on the offense last year. Um, we know he that was certainly uh, the best player on the offense last year. Yeah, I guess I didn't need to qualify that as much. Um, <laughs> obviously, Taj had like some really good moments, but it's few and far between. Um, I think uh, Jarvian has just like enough. Like we, we just know enough about him and he should be fresh. And he comp, I think he's a kind of a similar player to uh, Tucker. So if you're going to go fast and you want to have, bring that same look, he's like the, the, the pretty obvious one B. Um, and then lots, I think just as you alluded to before is like dynamic out of the backfield and catch the ball um, just is the most different from those guys. And Adams while uh, seemed like he was more of the speed, the burner when he was at Oklahoma and when he was coming in has been more of a between the tackles guy as well. So it's just interesting to see what, how he'll, if he's going to find a way to complement those first two guys, or if it's just like one of these is going to lose touches. And um, it's, it's actually kind of surprising that all three are coming back, to be honest. I'm Tucker, obviously I expected, but um, after the opt-outs, I kind of thought both would either give the NFL a shot, even if it was unlikely they would get drafted or go elsewhere. So it's a nice, it's, it's, it's a nice problem to have. I think you can, you can always rotate through running backs and keep guys fresh and that's, you know, there should be a way to utilize all four, but I feel like four is a lot of mouths to feed. So hopefully Babers uh, is on it and figures it out and, and finds the best way to use all of them. Because I do think there's like kind of overlapping still sets between those non Lutz three. Um, and it's hard to take away touches from Tucker given what he did last year. Uh, so we'll see. I, I think, and and at the same time, like Adams was the guy who was at Oklahoma. We saw like the impressive stuff he did in limited touches there. It like it seems like he should have the highest upside just based on his his pedigree. But we we know that's not always the case, and running backs kind of come from wherever. So that's definitely the biggest question for me among uh, for this group, though. Like, how do you how do you actually break things down and and keep everyone happy? Because it, it's very hard to do with that many players in that position, especially in an offense where like ideally you're you're pretty run run past balance. I know the offense, like we've seen it. Uh, we always talked about the Bowling Green days. Like it was a little more run oriented than people would think, but it's still like pretty pretty balanced overall when it's running at its uh, peak efficiency. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and I do think like, you know, and obviously if this was a pro backfield, somebody's traded, <laughs> but, but, but not the case here. Um, I do think that one of, unfortunately, I do think one of Howard or Adams is the odd man out in terms of carries. And realistically, again, like, Lutz and, and, and uh, Tucker seemed to, you know, get better as they warmed up throughout the game. I I would hate to see 
us just in, in the interest of just trying to get everybody carries, cut them down to more like 12 to 14 a game just so we can get more carries. So the other guys, like realistically, whoever the best two guys are, those they should get 90% of the carries, if not more. And I think we should see somewhere in like the 18 to 22 range for the top two options here. Yeah, that's the other part of it. It's like kind of balance your your best players versus like guys uh, maximizing like their freshness and, and their uh, peak like performance and, and finding that kind of a, finding that kind of balance between the two things is, is really tricky um, because obviously you want to have your best players out there, but if there isn't a huge difference in terms of level of play, then, you know, maybe we can switch things around a little bit more, but again, it's going to be, it's going to take a while to, to see how this plays out. Um, hopefully like in some of the, the non-conference games and the, the slightly more reasonable ones, we can really get a good sense of it, but uh, no, it'll be, uh, it'll be really interesting to see. And then, obviously with a quarterback, like the quarterback situation also, obviously we think DeVito's going to start, but like DeVito and Schrader are so, so different that that may also play a big factor in like what the best running back pairing is if Schrader was to play. Yeah, I I completely agree there. I think really a pairing of him and Lutz um, could be super interesting um, just in terms of, you know, utilizing Schrader's ability to move the pocket, but more on that as the off season rolls on. Um, Dan, I think we're, good here uh though i guess are you going to see black widow in theaters or are you going to be streaming at home this weekend um i don't know if i'll get to it i'm gonna be in philadelphia this weekend so i probably won't see it till next week um i have been to back to theaters i went to see uh, a quiet place two like two weeks ago um and i think i'm going to see uh i'm gonna see something this week so um yeah i'm, I'm back into theaters uh i'm excited to have gotten back and and I will see Black, uh, Black Widow in theaters. I'm just not sure when it'll be. Probably sometime mid next week, hopefully. Nice. I will be sure to not spoil it on the pod. Um, I think there will be a spoiler-filled article on the site on Monday, but we will note that everywhere. Not to read if people want to avoid spoiling the ending. It feels sort of crazy that we have like a Marvel movie back in theaters. Like it just kind of out of nowhere. Like not out of nowhere, but hey, everything's been jostled around so much. And like, it's still, you know, we're still coming out of the pandemic all of a sudden, like that's a real sign of like life getting back to normal. It's like, Oh yeah, we have a big Marvel movie that everyone has to see in theaters now. Yeah. I mean, grand, I'm not seeing it in theaters. I'm seeing, I'm just going to rent it. Um, that's, that's, probably, that's probably the last one that there's going to be an option for that. Uh, before we get back to I mean, Shang-Chi comes out in September and that'll, I, I'd be shocked if that wasn't studio, if it wasn't a uh, theater only. Uh, I hope it is. I hope it's, theater only if only because that probably means that we're uh on the even further on the other side of this thing and the delta variant isn't ruining all of our lives so not, knock on what at the end for that one <laughs> yeah that'd be ideal I'd, uh, I, I would i would i would rather not continue the pandemic that's my my very hot take yeah pandemic two um electric boogaloo is not the sequel i need um it is the uh thor the dark world of pandemics <laughs> um the lighting's bad you're not really sure what's going on. The dialogue's pointless. There's just a lot of it's, it's a lot of unfortunate things that, that I don't need. Does that mean the third pandemic will be Ragnarok, and we should all look forward to it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, 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 then the metaphor switches to Iron Man three, where no, it's about a terrorist attack. It's a little too close to home. <laughs> not everything is what you, what it seems. Um, <laughs> but yes, hopefully, hopefully everyone is able to see. 
obviously, if you're listening to this and we have a, a strong Marvel contingent on the site, uh, see Black Widow whichever way you are most comfortable. Uh, and we continue to, to move through the pandemic and, and down the other end for uh, in time for football season. Hopefully, Indeed. we all have a good summer. I am very much hoping for a good summer. Um, well, Dan, anything else before we uh, head out for the day? I think that's it. Hopefully, uh, this crazy storm in New York passes and I don't lose power, but uh, we got through the podcast, so that's the most important thing, I guess. Fingers crossed for you and for everybody else um, along the eastern seaboard um, and, and the various uh, storms potentially headed everybody's way this summer and heading into the fall. Uh, that was yes. Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Train News and Absolute Podcast. Great review. Subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, TuneIn, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, wherever else you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.